Tom, are you okay? I lost her. Her? She was going to be this epic, trilogy-worthy character. I was going to be the hottest writer in Hollywood. But I can't get past Act One! You need some writer's group therapy. Hello, and welcome to Writer's Group Therapy. I'm Tom. And I'm Roshni. We're writers helping writers. Are you ready for your session? The doctors are in. And if you like what you hear, make sure you subscribe and share it with your friends. You can find us online at writersgrouptherapy.com and also on Instagram and Twitter at WG Therapy individually. I'm Tom underscore Loveman on Twitter and Tom Loveman on Instagram. And I am at Moon Lily Music on Instagram and at Roshni Lamino on Twitter. And now we're also we're also on YouTube now, so you can find us. Uh, all, I'm starting to put all our back episodes on YouTube. So that's if right. You like if that's where you listen to podcasts, check that out. Yeah, you can look at the pretty artwork while you listen. <laughs> so even though Hollywood is shut down, if I feel like more just happens all the time. Yeah, it, yeah. Hollywood has uh, production has stopped, but things continue to move uh, in the world uh, behind the scenes. We'll see what happens when we finally, uh, when the curtain's lifted and we're back to quote unquote normal, we'll see who's still standing. Yeah. Well, the curtain lifted on South by Southwest. Uh, they didn't hold the big festival in person, but they did uh, put together an online film festival. for their Partnering with Amazon. Submit- yeah, with their submitted films. So if you're looking for a film fest, if you're suffering from film festival withdrawal, you can check that out. You know what's interesting about that? First of all, South by Southwest started as a music festival, and I haven't seen anything about what they're doing regarding any of the music acts that were supposed to be, you know, discovered, so to speak, in in, uh, this year's South by Southwest. Also, it's a technology festival. That piece hasn't really been Mm -hmm. addressed. And the online film festival, it's kind of like this weird double-edged sword, I think, for filmmakers who were invited to participate this year, because being online can kind of count as distribution and then that takes them out of the running for future film festivals. So some people actually said no. Oh yeah, a lot do. And and I've run into that before with our films where uh, they wanted to distribute it online or over, even over a cable access channel. And I said, Whoa, can't do that. Not yet. Um, yeah. Unless you're, you know, like at the end of your festival run where it's okay, you know, you can, you're not worried about getting disqualified from other festivals for being distributed online. Uh, but yeah, you have to watch out for that. Um, it also depends on how long it's going to be online and if there's going to be like a paywall to keep, you know, if it's for everybody or if people have to pay to get in kind of thing. I'd have to look again at the news, but I believe there was talk that this would be a paid viewing. But the issue is, you know, think about it. You're a filmmaker. You land in a South by Southwest. That's a big deal. And then you have to turn it down because it could screw your chances of other film festivals in the future because it's technically considered distribution. That's a really hard place to be in. Well, South by Southwest, though, also has a larger turnout of higher profile, you know, deal makers. So if you if you do get, you know, shown in the online festival, even though it's online, you might you may actually, you know, get in front of people uh, who are interested in it. It's just it's just difficult, though, because the whole point of these film festivals is to go meet people and network and make those deals that you can't do, even if, you know, you're, yeah, you're in the South by Southwest online film festival, but it feels kind of like a consolation prize in some ways. Yeah. Yeah. If I, I mean, honestly, like if I was in any of those spots, like filmmaker or music, I'd be like, can I just defer to 2021? Yeah. That's what I would try to do. Yeah. Can yeah. you just, 
hold on to it until we can actually get together and do this again. Yeah. I'm sure there's, I mean, there are thousands of film festivals every year. I'm sure a lot of them have closed down, you know, obviously because of the situation. I mean, globally, um, you know, they're not huge money makers for a lot of the small festivals, but, you know, they put a lot of time and effort into it. And uh, the venues that use them for the festivals, um, all those people are going to be suffering because of the, the shutdown. But I mean, a lot of it is, oh, and I'm so annoyed of this word, unprecedented. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone keeps using that word for everything related right now. But I mean, think about the language in contracts right now. And that's what I was talking about regarding the distribution, because there isn't language right now. What do you do if there is a pandemic and it shuts you out of the film festival? Does that count as distribution? How do you argue that? And so there isn't language to protect filmmakers or musicians or anything like that, because we haven't seen this. And so going under the old rules, I can see why people would regrettably say no. And we were even talking about when they bring back production, there's going to be a lot of rules in place and there's nothing in the contracts right now about, we were talking about um, right now they're, uh, it's not quite writer, writer related, but the actors unions are talking about how long can you have an actor on retainer because people were supposed to be shooting pilots and they were supposed to be done by now. And by the time we get back into shooting, they might want to go do other projects. Maybe that project's not even happening anymore. How long can you keep an actor on the hook? How long can you keep the crew on the hook? It doesn't, and even for, in a sense, writers, how long can you keep them on the hook for a writer's room that might not be happening? That's True. not, yeah, I mean, that language well, if they haven't the made, if they haven't made the pilot yet, then they haven't staffed up the show yet because the pilot hasn't been picked up. So there's a whole backlog of steps that have to happen still. But the studios are kind of like trying to hold everybody in place so they can make their decisions when they can. I would imagine they'd skip pilots and just pick up certain shows that they are, you know, feel confident about and uh, and move right into production. You know, uh, that usually starts in August kind of production starts. Writing starts um, June, July. So they still have some time to to kind of get things in order. But the pilot season's kind of done. We're not going to have a pilot season unless they shift everything. You know, the whole. Yeah. The whole industry shifts by three or four months, which I don't think that's going to happen. But I mean, think about like, okay, let's say you have a writer's room that was suspended during pilot season. So like technically they're all still quote unquote employed. It's just nothing is getting shot. So maybe their scripts aren't being used. What if they write like, you know, a whole entire season for a production that cannot be filmed in the fall due to new restrictions on who can be on set and when? That's what I'm saying. Certain shows might be obsolete because we're going to look into new, there's going to be a new way of filming and a new way of doing things. So even then, like according, I don't even know, would would they still get paid? Do they get paid for their work? Or is it just like a, here's a thousand dollars. Thanks for your time. They don't, there's no Mm -hmm. language to to deal with this. And it's not something you and I can actually figure out. It's going to be a lot of lawyers and and a oh. lot of the agents and managers and the, and the studios all kind of trying to figure that out. And, you know, and this also is overlaid on the fact that there's um, uh, productions that were already scheduled for certain spaces and certain time frames, which will be like, well, we can do our production because, you know, we've come out of the crisis and now we already have those dates blocked. And when these actors are on hold, but then you run into competition between other productions. Like, well, we had that actor booked for the summer, but we couldn't shoot. So now we want them now, you know, that kind of thing. So it's not just the actors in one production and the studios and the, and the, and the 
sound stages, you know, and even the post-production are all lined up in a certain time schedule. And now they're all going to be kind of having a big traffic jam and fighting over resources. Yeah, it really is a mess. And then when you think about also because of travel being an issue, things that may have filmed outside of Los Angeles in, you know, in a cheaper state, those productions might get shuttered as well. So mm-hmm. it's, there's yeah. a lot of ripple effect happening that we yeah, won't even depends. know until later on. Yeah, it depends where you're shooting and if they're open. Yeah, because yeah. some places will be open before others. I think that L.A., California is going to open before a lot of the rest of the country because they're just getting started. If uh, I've been watching the maps and I've, I've been the whole Midwest is like getting ready to pop like we did and uh in the south actually as well so i we're feel not, like we're not over it though we're, we're, do- not. we're definitely not over but we're doing <laughs> we're, we're kind of you know kind of get hopefully getting to the top of the curve um but these other places that have kind of been like especially the places that kind of say oh well we don't have that many cases like wait it's coming <laughs> you know you have no idea what you're you know they don't understand so hopefully it won't be that bad but um well, with everybody one, protesting, one, we'll probably I, have another wave in a couple weeks anyway. So. Yeah. I did hear some kind of encouraging news. Um, the uh, writer's room for uh, Brooklyn Nine-Nine has just started up again virtually. Um, there was a really interesting article on, I'm pretty sure it was The Hollywood Reporter, with an interview with the writers and Adam Sandberg and and talking about how the uh, this, this Andy. The show ended. La- Andy, Andy, Andy. I always get there. Andy Sandberg. Um they always they were talking about how the show ended last season and how they're going to change the how they're going to pick it up this season because of what's going on and you know that's set in Brooklyn obviously so that's going to be a hotbed of coronavirus activity that you know they they didn't explain exactly how they're going to do it but they're they were kind of talking about their thinking behind how they were going to approach you know the new season is it going to happen you know after the lockdown's over. I thought they should just jump ahead five years and see like, where did things wind up and kind of be sci-fi like that maybe. Oh, that'd be interesting. Although I think, I don't know. I don't know if you really would want to project into the future. I'm just, it was just an idea. I'm not, yeah, <laughs> I'm not saying they should do it, but unless you're like, this was an alternate universe. Cause you don't know. Well, that's one of the options is let's just pretend this happened in a world where coronavirus didn't exist. But then they felt that would shortchange the world and the suffering they went through to pretend it didn't happen. So they are looking at how they're going to incorporate it. Uh, It's, you know, it's a complicated situation and it's a comedy. So how do you, you know, approach that world taking into account what has actually happened while being, you know, being sensitive to that boss while still being funny, you know, that's the hard part, but it was a really interesting to read. So we'll put the link in the show notes. You definitely want to check that out. But, but they are the writers. I feel like the writers through this whole thing have been kind of fortunate that we can work, you know, at home and, you know, our work is, is not, you know, there are things about being together in a writer's room that are great, but it's okay if you're not, and you can still write. So fortunately the writers have been continuing on their work, Except, I guess, what is it? Now there's a, an issue with the WGA telling writers to go to animation. WGA's had a lot of stuff in the news lately. So <laughs> we, we'll just go in order here. So one of the things is that they have told their members, their writer members, to go to animation. Like, it's just that easy, right? You know, you can't shop at Walmart, go to Target. You can't do live action, go write animation. Which I think is really weird. Because animation doesn't fall under the same parameters. I mean, obviously the writing style is different, but it isn't always union work either. 
yeah, it's not always union work, and it's always it, and it's not always done the same way that live action's done. And in some places, the uh, the stories come out of the animators, not from the writers. It's kind of backwards sometimes. Mm-hmm. So, and, and there's a lot of other things about the business that's very different. Plus, they already have writers. <laughs> like you yeah. want to throw a bunch? You want to throw a bunch of live action writers at the animation world? They're they're uh, they're fine. Um, although there has been a little boom in animation, you know, in this downtime with other studios. So maybe there's is more work to do. Maybe there's room for more in that industry. But if I was a writer in animation, I'd be like, whoa, you want to come play in my sandbox? You got to play by my rules and that kind of thing. <laughs> They'll be like, are we suddenly union now? Thanks, guys. <laughs> what happened? Yeah, some of the uh, some of the it's really weird. Some of the animation is covered under parts of the WGA contract and some isn't, I guess. I'm not an expert on the WGA contracts, but uh, it's definitely a different situation. Just to be telling them to go do this is, is the weird part, you know, like, uh, you know, it's kind of like if, you know, we all worked at, like you said, we, were, we all work at Walmart and Target closes and the Target says, hey, everyone go work at Walmart. And it's like everyone at Walmart's going to be like, wait, we're working I here. I have a job too. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You can't just yeah. do that. You just can't bring in twice as many employees. Yeah. I mean, and aside from that, of course, you still have to go through the proper channels. You still have to, you know, know somebody in the industry, pitch your work, you know, audition for the job, basically. Like, you still have to do all the things. You can't just, like, walk in the room, well, virtually walk in the room and be like, I was a live action writer. Here I am, animation. You know, like, it's just, what? I don't know. It's just kind of a weird. I I get it. I get that they're trying to, like, hey, here, I think what they meant was, like, hey, here's another avenue if you haven't thought of it. But, you know, and not only that, but I, I understand that some animation productions, they storyboard, they don't write it out like a regular yeah. script. So right. should we all become animators too and <laughs> learn how to draw? You know, I, I don't know where this is coming from. Yeah. Have you so, seen my, I, I, I can't draw. It'd be horrible. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like suddenly like are they saying learn a new skill and learn how to storyboard like i don't know what they're trying to do here so but meanwhile the wg is trying to protect uh writers in another case we talked about this before they were kind of investigating nbc universal for closing peacock production productions a a documentary department of a union documentary department and resetting it up internally as a non-union uh doing the same thing, doing reality documentary TV. And so now the WG is actually suing NBC Universal over it. So so that's moving forward. They they did find, I guess, enough information to say, yeah, we're gonna we're gonna take you to court on this one. Yeah. They I mean, this was kind of the um the time of year that was supposed to be their big negotiation season. It was supposed to be yeah. after pilot season. Because May first was supposed to be the contract deadline between the studios and WGA. And right now they're having more delays on talks because they're pushing for healthcare, which is a noble thing. Um, But we were actually discussing this off podcast. So I'll let you start the debate. Well, I mean, I was, what all I understood was there was, it seems like there was just a miscommunication in some ways where um, the writers guild said, okay, these are the, the parameters under which we would like to start negotiations. And then the studio Alliance said, sure, that's great. And then the Raiders guild said, wait, we changed our minds. We want to protect the eligibility of writers in this crazy time because nobody's working. So eligibility is going to be all screwed up. And I guess, you know, this from being an actor, right? Yeah. So 
with a lot of uh, entertainment stuff, stuff that was really vague. But you have to, if you're in the union, you have to log in X amount of hours to be eligible for your health care and sometimes even like your pension payout and stuff for the following year. So I don't know the exact numbers for SAG, but like, let's say it's, you know, you worked your thousand hours or something on a SAG production, and then you get your health care for the following year. So what they're arguing about, and I'll just read this right from the article, it says, the Guild had suggested suggested that the WGA Health Fund extend eligibility to participants who would otherwise lose coverage through the end of the year because they failed to meet the required earnings threshold. The AMPTP had responded that it would discuss the proposal internally. So apparently the studios were like, we don't normally handle this. Why are you coming to us about it? But I understand why the Guild is like, wait a minute, we got to discuss this because nobody is going to make the hours to have eligibility for health care. And we're kind of in a health crisis right now. So people really do need their health care. I yeah, get it. So I, I, I get it too. Yeah. Uh, it seems like they were kind of harsh about it, but it sounds like something that would be normally handled by other people or other groups, but they're like kind of dropping the, dropping the mic now and saying, we, we want to talk about this now. We're not going to let it slide through the negotiations and then hope that it gets worked out later. Um, that basically seems what it's like, but hopefully they'll work it out. Um, nobody, you know, they actually pushed the strike or whatever the, extended the deadline so it wouldn't happen right in the middle of this crisis so they still have time to work all this out and still get the negotiations started i think they were pushing it till june at this point i wonder if you can virtually strike can you have like a zoom strike meeting a zoom strike because we can't we can't strike in person so how would you do that you just wouldn't go on your your, you wouldn't write you'd just stop writing and wouldn't submit anything would anybody notice (laughs) <laughs> I mean, I'm, I mean, not to be mean, but I'm just saying, if you stop doing your job and you're already at home, like, would anybody notice? Because you're not going into the office. It's a little, it's, and it's not like you can get together and picket uh, unless you're picketing six feet apart from each other. Exactly. Um, and who would you be picketing? Because nobody would be at the studio to picket. Uh, <laughs> so all of it just. It's yeah. all kind of, yeah, virtual. A Zoom You can strike. sit on your couch with your with your uh, protest sign and. Wave, do a TikTok of your protest, maybe. There you go. <laughs> um, uh, what else have you, have you been doing during your? Uh, I don't want to say it break. You're not on a break. You've been busy as busier than anybody. What have you been doing during your pandemic season? Well, yeah. <laughs> no, it's been it's been really good. So, Expat season one is completely out now. If you guys want to go binge it, expattheshow.com, and you can find it anywhere you listen to podcasts like Writers Group Therapy. It's called Expat. So that's that's out, and that's really exciting to have that completely out. So I'm beginning to storyboard, storyboard, animation. I'm beginning to come up with ideas for season two and what I called mini-sodes, like the stuff in between the seasons. But of course, Uh the issue is going to be, how do you record it? Because we had recorded it live with everybody in the same room, which we can't really do right now. So I have to think through that challenge. And then I'm still working on my book. So that's really exciting. And yeah. yeah, it's, you know, I will say it's funny, like, because I read so much fantasy, I'm like, why do I write comedy scripts? I don't know. I can't imagine writing like a fantasy uh. script, but like the book, fantasy book. Okay. Why not? Or it's a rom-com. I don't know, but I don't think I'd really be into like chiclet or rom-com writing. I don't know. Maybe I will one day. Who knows? Or combine the two. Huh. But hmm. Yeah. How about you? What are you up to? Uh, I am working on uh, my narrative podcast. I keep uh, 
building on it, uh, adding scenes, adding more to it. So hopefully I'll have some of that to share at the writers group uh, next week because I, I am supposed to present. So uh, yes, you are. <laughs> yeah. I am kind of late to the game on hit record. I just discovered I heard about it a long time ago, but I never really looked at it. And uh, I guess I saw a tweet by Joseph Gordon-Levitt about a um, a contest or something they were doing about voiceovers. I actually submitted a voiceover audition i guess you would say and then i uh, i started i really hadn't looked at hit record before and it's a hitrecord.org if you're interested in checking it out it's kind of a creative community where people propose projects and and people can contribute to projects in many different ways writing art music uh voiceover animation uh visual effects you know anything you might need to create a creative production of any kind and people can contribute their skills and their creativity to it and then if perchance a particular project becomes some sort of commercial, you know, thing that the organization decides they can they can monetize, they will do so, and then they share that the revenue they make with the people who contributed to it. So it's kind of an interesting um, platform and community. Uh, I actually contributed in a uh, weekly writing challenge, which I strongly recommend people check out because it's a lot of fun. Uh, they post weekly writing challenges, and this week it was. Uh, write a story, poem, something, create something on the phrase uh, Gorgons on the Loose. So, or Gorgon on the Loose. And uh, a Gorgon, if you don't know, is like Medusa, the creatures that can turn people to stone. So I created a, I did like a two page script that was kind of a parody infomercial for a new product called Gorgon Be Gone. It was a, they are uh, active matrix goggles that can block out the uh, face of a Gorgon so you don't turn to stone. It was quite fun. I had a good time doing that. You know, one thing that we haven't really discussed, I'm going to throw you in the spotlight real quick. Oh, but, thanks. Yeah, you're welcome. I've seen a lot of, in, in right now in the pandemic with everyone being home, as an actor, I've seen a lot of monologue challenges and general meetings with certain casting directors and stuff like that. There seem to be a lot of those floating around. And even right now, there's a, a couple fellowship that that have either closed or are opening soon but i haven't seen a lot of writer challenge type things on instagram or writer general meetings or anything like that nothing in the writing world it all seems to be in the acting world have you seen anything um i see a lot of uh these pitch meeting you know offers uh from stage 32 uh, a lot of um I always research the people they say that they're meeting with and you know, there's a lot of people out there willing to read stuff right now. I guess they're available to read things. So they mm -hmm. are, but I just, I just want you to make sure everyone, if you're going to do one of those, cause they usually charge, you know, 20, 30, 40 bucks or so to get a Skype pitch session with a, you know, associate at a agency. Um, you know, you just make sure you do your research, make sure that it's a good match and that the person you're going to be meeting with is actually somebody who has some sort of experience in what you're trying to pitch so that, you know, you're going to get a, a fair read on it. Um, I won't go into more <laughs> detail on my feelings about that, but yeah, there's that. And then, um, uh, oh, if you're into comedy, I've been doing this lately. I just started this, uh, online open mic. I've been to a, a couple different ones. Now, a friend of mine was hosting one and I was kind of the audience for a few weeks. And then I actually tried it, uh, last week. I did my own five minute set of stand up, and I didn't bomb completely. <laughs> <laughs> It was fun. It was fun to watch you. You watched it. That's right. Yeah, yeah. I uh, I learned a lot, and uh, and afterwards, my friends who are have been doing this for a long time, they gave me some good pointers and tips. So I'm I'm kind of massaging the material and see if I can kind of improve it or come up with some new stuff that's better. 
but it's it's a nice challenge. And as we talked before, I'm afraid of comedy, dramatically afraid of comedy. You're comedy. dramatically afraid of Dramati- comedy. Dramatically afraid of comedy. And, uh, you know, it's it's a good way to kind of, you know, stretch those comedy muscles and, and see what works and what doesn't. And hopefully, you know, again, it'll turn over into better writing in the comedy uh, genre. Awesome. Well, coming up next, we have an interview with writer Jamie Jessup. We actually recorded this pre-pandemic, so when we were all we were all able to sit around a, a microphone in and not be six feet apart. That Way was so back lovely. when, yeah, yeah. yeah. So human, human interaction. <laughs> so this is an interview from the before times. Coming up next. Sorry, we're a little distracted because we have two special guests in the studio. We have Jamie Jessup, who we will be interviewing, and my cat Riley, who is sniffing the microphone. (laughs) So anyway, on to the more important thing. Jamie, thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure. It was very easy to get here. (laughs) So Jamie is a very prolific writer. I will let you give your short bio of all the things you've done. Oh, sure, sure, sure. Yeah, um, I've been writing since fourth grade, uh, where I won the Dr. Seuss Award for witty writing. That's definitely not copywritten. <laughs> I'm sure uh, Ms. Geisel would have issues with that. But yeah, my teachers have always been really encouraging. Um, grammar and English were a big thing for me since I can't math. And uh, I grew up in Orlando and moved out here in 2009, immediately crashed and burned, moved back to Orlando and moved out here in 2013. And I've been swinging ever since. So a lot of different opportunities have come my way. And um, it's kind of interesting. No two paths are the same for writers, as you guys both know. But yeah, like kind of laying my own little gingerbread crumbs out behind me, somebody's going to get really, really lost. <laughs> so tell us a little bit about like some of the places you've worked, some of the You've had a lot of jobs. <laughs> yeah, I have. I have. I was really lucky in Orlando. Um, briefly, before 9-11, it was a huge industry hotspot. It was the place. They literally called it Hollywood East, even though we have a perfectly good Hollywood city in Florida. Uh, we were really making a name for ourselves. The Blair Witch Project came right out of the film school that I attended. It was this prestigious film school, this hit film, this genre-creating lightning-in-a-bottle magic thing with the um, point-of-view film. So that was brand spanking new and those guys had graduated just the year before me so they're coming and like smoking weed with our professors (laughs) um it was fantastic so yeah really really great spot to be in Um, a lot of internships which led to uh writing opportunities for local production companies looking for showrunners and head writers for example the engineer who built most of the roller coasters for some of the major theme parks out there had a daughter who wanted a tv show So he went and poached a bunch of the writers from the film schools, and we came up with essentially a show. And that show was uh, the basis for History High, which was on MTV briefly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that was fun. I mean, you and it looks like in a weird way you've like genre jumped. I mean, you've gone from like <laughs> Sesame Street to CSI Miami. Yeah, yeah. I know you're working on like a quirky anime <laughs> dark comedy right now. So I mean, how did this all work? I mean, I would think most people would kind of stick to like one type, but it seems like you've gone everywhere. You have to be flexible, absolutely. Um, film school in a dying economy is certainly no guarantee. So right after Orlando. And September 11th, I moved to New York and got an internship with Sesame Street. And I was really, really excited. I got to work with the writers group um, by day. And then by night, I'd work for Troma Pictures. And they do like schlock B-movie films. Very different genre. Yeah. 
they're they're a toxic avenger mm-hmm. and stuff like that. Oh, they're yeah, I didn't know who they classic were. cult horror mm-hmm. films. Kentucky yeah. Fried Movie, Sergeant Kabuki Man, and really NYPD. Sloppy spaghetti, oh, oh shot on the roof of their own building. Yeah, yeah. Like educating a, children to learn. Yes, <laughs> yes. They're 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 huge in the horror world. Yeah, yeah, incredible time to be there. And Sesame Street actually introduced their first HIV positive Muppet who lived in South Africa, and we were so proud to be there. Um, unfortunately, with the economy the way it was that summer, they laid off 60, 60 employees. Ah, uh, ah, uh, ah. Uh. So uh, oh, <laughs> New no. York. And were you well, one of them? I was welcome to come back and work another unpaid internship, but I, I couldn't uh, swing it. Well, now they've been roped under the uh, Sesame Street is going to be on HBO Max. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Really? Yeah. Do they get absorbed by HBO? I haven't been well, following. I don't know because, uh, well, you know, the... the Jim Henson Studios was bought by Disney a, long, a while ago, a long time ago. Yeah, yeah. Was Disney buying things? <laughs> Go figure. <laughs> um, but I don't know what became of Sesame Street in that exchange. I mean, it's uh, you know, it's it was the public broadcasting version, but, um, but it was still started by him. Yeah, I heard the uh, Spice Channel had bought like a Sesame Street After Dark kind of mm. situation. So, oh, that's interesting. Yeah, and well, Carol Spinney was a nudist, so it's not off brand. Yeah. Um, your uh, experience includes blogging. Yes, yeah. yeah. Um, lots of blogging opportunities. Word of mouth is fantastic. I have an incredible social network in real life, which translates onto social media. And uh, anytime a friend of a friend needed a writer to crank something out, I'm very, very fortunate to have been recommended for a number of things. Uh, ironically, I wound up blogging for a motorcycle website. And I did have a motorcycle at the time, so that wasn't too crazy. I wound up blogging for an RV enthusiast website. I do not have an RV. Uh, I learned what gray water is and got to blog for people shopping for like septic pumps and things like that. As you do. Hey, the, the check's cleared. That's all I cared about. And this is all um, back and forth in between Los Angeles and Orlando and New York and everything in between. Blogging was a great way for me to supplement my income. But in the meantime, of course, I have to work day jobs. And when I ran out of health insurance, one of those day jobs was a receptionist for an adult video production company. Mm-hmm. They gave health insurance. They were kind. Um, it was a really interesting place to work. And then one of the weekends, uh, they heard that I had gone to film school and they were looking for a production assistant on one of their shoots. And they offered me what would eventually be the best and worst $75 I ever made. Um, <laughs> I blogged about the experience of being an assistant on a set of an adult video. And that got enough hits from just people that are Googling certain keywords and different <laughs> blogs that led to more paid writing work. So yeah, blogging is what's up. If you have a day job that lets you um, screw around on your breaks and just kind of on your own free time, fill it out, then yes, you can, you can actually eat in the city. Well, that's cool. Mm. Yeah. That's really cool. You still do that to you on side or? Every now and then I blog for myself personally. Um, mm-hmm. That's been really good for me too. I've little miracles have happened from my blogs. Uh, people that read and never comment, and you never know who's watching, who's reading. Um, I'd go to an audition, and it turns out the director has read something, and and he likes who I am creatively. So I'll get cast for an acting job that led to an acting job that is my bread and butter for the next two years. Uh, I I went and did a fitness event. It was like um, not Tough Mudder. 
the one that's not as intense as Tough Mudder Warrior Dash. Um, like the ba- all sounds really intense. <laughs> Baby's first fitness event. Um, it's like an endurance thing where you have to like crawl under electrified fences and like run over tires and dive through mud. It's it's all int- babies should have to do that, <laughs> right? <laughs> Builds character. But um, I was at the end and they call it your name when they give you your your survival medal and somebody's like, "Oh, Jamie Jessup, I read your blogs," and I'm like. Oh my god, that's such a random thing. I'm literally covered in mud, but so nice to meet you. That is so awesome. Now, we were talking about this off podcast or off microphone, but because I don't know a lot about how the Writers Guild works as far as like getting in the guild. And I was looking at your credits and I thought, oh my gosh, like how are you not (laughs) in the guild already? But we were talking about the points system. So Tom, do you want to explain that? Um, I haven't checked recently, but last time I looked, uh, you had to earn 24 points to get into the guild. You know, uh, this, the way you get points, though, is kind of skewed. If you do a feature film that's theatrically released, that's 24 points. Bam, you're in. And that's why I, we believe Sam Gash, our last one of our previous guests, um, you know, he, he's a member of the guild. He had done, a, I think it was a horror film. Ooh. I can't remember. I know, he meant, he know, I know he mentioned it yeah. during one of our many yeah. conversations. But, he, but he, yeah, he, he actually is a Writers Guild member. Yeah. Uh, meanwhile, if you do television, it's based on each episode that you get credited on, you get points for. It's either one or two per episode. So you'd have to do a whole season or half a season, depending on the length of the show, to get you know enough points to get in the guild there. So that's kind of a catch-22 also. It's like, yeah. how do you get enough points as a, as a writer on a show without being in the writer's guild, you have to be a freelance writer. And we, we know how, you know, weird that system is, how, you know, they don't use that that many freelancers anymore, or they use quote unquote freelancers, but they're actually established writers from other shows to freelance on their show. Right. So they're not hired on the show, but they're freelancing on the show, but they're already established. For sure. Also, I don't know how streaming affects that either, because obviously these rules were established under broadcast, but I mean, how do you get it for streaming? I haven't, like I said, I haven't read the yeah. agreement, the, the rules lately, so I'm not sure. In that <laughs> I, respect. I, I'm sure there are perfectly good lawyers who have the answers for these. I've just honestly been afraid to look. I'd love <laughs> to join the guild someday. Um, I do know that joining requires uh, a commitment financially to a lot of times. Like I'm in an actors union right now, the yeah. American Guild of Variety Artists, and um, I pay a lot of dues uh, to be a a performer. That is my, how I'm making my living right now. In addition to just writing for fun, but the dues for that pay for a lot of benefits. But as far as writing goes, I know you have to write a certain amount in a certain, certain time frame too. Right. To get the benefits. Like, so what it, would the point be? Yeah. It can't be over like 20 years. It has to be within a couple, two or three years. I think, yeah. Or something. Which yeah. is kind of how the other crew unions work. Like if you're going to become like in the... um... You got to be serious. Right. Well, let me hop in my DeLorean back to when I had a movie (laughs) on Netflix and see if I qualified a few years ago. Maybe I did. So when you worked on these various shows, Mm -hmm. you were working as uh, like a... You, were you a writer's assistant at all? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, I had, I love horror movies. So I want to meet this uh, Sam Gash guy. He sounds fun. <laughs> but I had volunteered through a friend of a friend to production assist on a horror film. No nudity this time. Weird. But I showed up, did a good job. And it turned out the crew was mostly um, crew members from CSI Miami. So they're like, hey, you didn't drop anything today. Good job. Would you like to come be an office production assistant? It's paid. And I'm like, ooh, paid. Yes. So uh, there was at what is now Santa Monica Studios. It was Raleigh at the time. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or Manhattan Beach Studios, excuse me. The yeah. Raleigh's MBS. Over Paramount. There's two Raleigh Studios where oh, there yeah, were. Right. And yeah. now now it's Manhattan Beach Studios. 
So I had trucked down from Glendale down to there, work on the show. And then the next season, the unpaid writer's assistant spot was mine, which was great. I went from a paid gig to an unpaid gig, but it was where I wanted to be. And so it's just like a outwit, outlast, survive thing. Um, this is what kind of before, just in the last couple of years, the whole pay all your assistant. Mm, yeah, it was, um, it was what I wanted to do. And at the time I had like almost these feral blinders on. I'm like, okay, this is as far as I've gotten, I'm on a syndicated TV show in a writer's room, handing them Starbucks. Like this is as close and as fast as I've gotten. So what can this lead to? And what it led to was season nine, season 10, and then there was no season 11. So that paid spot where the points would have accrued, that would have been mine. And I wound up going back home to Florida and eating a lot of macaroni and cheese. Um, when you were working as a writer's assistant at CSM, were you working? Did you edit scripts? Did you did you have a chance to write any scripts? Yeah, not writing hands on. Um, you're working with the writers very closely, but not physically writing. Um, you're seeing everything, and you're I don't know coagulating a lot of things. There's a lot of collating, and hey, take this and put this here. But mostly, my main job was actually really fun. I got to file everything they were writing about and um like man murdered by alligator uh because of heroin so do you file that under murder alligator or heroin uh, i developed the i developed the filing system and what a lot of people don't know about the csis in general um all of those procedural crime shows is a lot of the stuff that they come up with they didn't come up with they just comb the news and international news for fascinating articles about like suitcases made out of drugs and um you know truth is very much stranger than fiction and by season 10 they were so burned out so they were culling from the headlines and i got to file those headlines for them that's funny. Yeah, you're the second person I, I've known who, who's worked for a CSI show ah. who did not really benefit post-show. Um, Builds character. Yeah, I had someone who was on the original Las Vegas CSI. Mm -hmm. She actually wrote an episode that um, they made because um, one of the episodes, one of the writers had written, kind of never gelled, never came together. And they're like, oh, what's this one? And so her episode actually got made. Wow. Uh, but then uh, she got laid off at some point and yeah. none of the people like on the staff were able to help her or do anything because they had been there so long mm -hmm, mm -hmm. they didn't have that many connections outside of right that production company you're absolutely right it was very siloed as far as cast and crew goes and it was this well-oiled machine and in a world unto itself so i moved back to orlando for a year and a half and then when i came back i still had all of my contact sheets for their professional emails and nothing at csimiami.com was still functioning. So I'm like, who do I reach out for? And instead I went back to temping and uh, I temped at Warner Brothers Creative for a while, kept writing, kept blogging. And those blogs got me the performance gigs that got me my uh, my apartment and um, not having to live in a car anymore and groceries and uh, mm -hmm. yeah. A day job. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so what, what are you working on these days? What's your uh, current... My, my current, current uh, project. Goal. I've been very lucky. The uh, the random credits that I did accrue, um, such as uh, a couple features that I've sold, um, a feature that was on Netflix very briefly, and the uh, very scant festivals that I won, like the Skyline Festival in Cincinnati. It's probably also a chili cook-off. Um, <laughs> these things weren't enough to get me an agent. And I attended a big how to get an agent chit chat in Hollywood. And uh, they were saying, yeah, basically, you have to know someone you have to know someone or be introduced personally. And working where I work as a performer, it's, um, 
it's tough to do. But fortunately, uh, I have a friend who became an acting agent, a talent agent, and her agency had a literary agent involved. And something pretty extraordinary happened because I was comfortable being a performer and working on horror movie sets and constantly being surrounded by um, fake blood and props and special effects and all those trauma films and working with Tom Savini, who is the godfather of gore, personal idol. Um, all those years working with spooky stuff had me very prepared when I was a witness to a motorcycle accident. And this, did I tell you this one, Tom? No. Okay. Um, this lady got into a horrific motorcycle accident right in front of me and her leg fell off. Whoops. <laughs> so I happened to be in traffic, you know, driving to and fro and I stopped my car got out of my car and um, my friend called 911, but being Los Angeles, it was four phone calls before they even picked up. And she was exsanguinating, which is a term I learned on CSI. And I know there's a femoral artery in the thigh, which I learned from CSI Miami. And I've watched enough horror movies. um, I knew she'd bleed to death if we didn't help her. So uh, there was nobody else and it was just us. So I took my belt off and I wrapped it around her stump and um, I asked her questions and kept her awake and made sure she kept her helmet on. And um, I tied a knot in the belt and held it tight and I held her leg closed um, until nine minutes later, the paramedics arrived and they scooped her up and she lived. Wow. She survived. And I was so grateful for that, that I was telling that story to my agent and at the agency. And she's like, Oh my God, Oh my God, Diane, get in here. You have to hear this. And Diane's literary agent. So Diane came in, she's like, Oh, are you the girl with the motorcycle thing with the leg? And I'm like, yeah, Hey, are you accepting new applications? And so as a matter of fact, she was. So talk about an icebreaker. Um, those weird little paths, like you can't say, oh, hey, welcome to Los Angeles. Here's what worked for me. Find a motorcyclist. Follow them, <laughs> Follow them carefully. Hope that they <laughs> yeah, have, have a tourniquet ready. But um, yeah, it, right place, right time. And it took seven, eight years of swinging and missing and swinging and missing and blogging about my stories and not giving up to get an agent. So what I'm working on now, long story short, is a, a pilot that I wrote. I'm very, very proud of it. It's called Nine Lives in Kitty City. Uh, we like cats here. <laughs> so, um, yeah, Riley abandoned us. I'm kind of disappointed. There he is. But, yeah, it's a, just an animated pilot, kind of like a SWAT Cats meets Sin City meets Sunset Boulevard, um, Cat Mafia, the Catholic Church, uh, the Cat Mafia kidnapped oh, a bunch of kittens. Yeah, hilarious. they're smuggling catnip and hollowed out statues of the Virgin Meowry. It's so a whole is, thing. this is adult animation. This is more, adult swim kind of. More Bojackless. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> But yeah, I'm excited to, um, I'm writing for me now. I love writing for hire. Um, I'm probably one of the faster writers, which is why I've booked most of my paid script gigs. I can finish a feature length in under three days. Yeah, that's what I'm known for. And that's why I've booked a lot of like faith-based films when they need something for their investment Bible. Like right now I can crank it out in three days, give it to me. But right now I'm just writing for joy and that's fantastic because I can take my time with it. So I want to take it back a little bit in the conversation because you got an agent mm-hmm. right around the time that the Writers Guild told all their writers to drop their agents. Hey. So did you notice anything different in the writing world and submissions and whatever? A lot of crickets. Yeah. Still? Yeah. Okay. So for, in that respect, nothing's changed, I guess, Correct. between the Writers Guild and non-Writers Guild writers. But. Just from my perspective, which is very, very niche and unique to me, I, I can't claim to have any sort of pulse on this industry. Everybody's got their own 
connection to it. But yeah, uh, Diane, I know my agent is sending me out there and submitting me and, and very supportive. And even if nothing happens, who doesn't love having a supportive friend? Great. Cool. All right. If you want to um, follow you, read your blogs, where should they go? Ah, calamityj.blogspot.com or you can find me on medium uh i try and shake it up a little bit also calamity j c-a-l-a-m-i-t-y-j-a-y thank you so much thank you